as we've been said, we're in the final one of the series looking at the I am statements of Jesus. Uh, and we are in uh, John 15 today, looking at the true vine. Uh, so let's, let's get straight into it and, and read some scripture. This is John 15. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in the name of my Father, in the name my Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. Amen. Amen. Great. Don't need to say anything. That's it, isn't it? Lovely. Uh, we, uh, so we're talking vines. We're talking fruit today. Um, for reasons I don't quite understand, a few months ago, about two months ago, I found myself on some very wet, dreary evening having a tour of this vineyard here, which is uh, somewhere near Newbury. It's called All Angels Vineyard. Um, I say I don't know. I do know why I ended up there, because one of my colleagues came along to me, and she said, Ben, um, I'm doing this cheese and wine tasting evening. Would you like to come along to it? And I said, yes. <laughs> I would love to come along to a cheese and wine tasting evening. Thank you very much. So, we got, we, so it was the day we were going. I'd got all suited up. I was in a suit and tie and smart shoes, because... It's a serious event, cheese and wine. Wanted to look my best. And we turned up at this vineyard in, as I say, near Newbury. Stunning location on the side of the hill. Um, but as I say, it was dreary. It was in that patch of weather where it had just been pouring for days and days. So the fields were uh, completely drenched, mud everywhere. We turned up. We met the guy who, run, who runs it. And he said, uh, he said oh, here's, here's this barn that we've recently done up. This is where we do our wine tasting. It's lovely, it's comfortable, it's nice and warm, uh, yeah, it's glorious. Uh, and then he said, follow me. And much to my dismay, he walked in exactly the opposite direction, into the fields. And we spent the next hour and a half trudging through these fields, looking at all these uh, vines that he got. But you know what? It was actually really interesting. Um, I learned so much in that hour and a half. This guy was, uh, uh, we'll use the word incredible, um, mad might also uh, describe him. He, it was the amount of work that he did um, he was, he'd been a kind of a city lawyer, and he'd worked all hours under the sun, made his millions, uh, and then about 45, he'd found this farm and decided uh, to retire there. But I, 
I kid you not, he worked harder tending those vines than he ever did up in the city as a lawyer. He said that his, his year started about the second week of January. Um, he'd go through, and every vine in his farm, he'd cut it, he'd cut the branches, so there were just five branches. The five branches he thought looked like they were going to best produce fruit. Then a few weeks later, those five branches would start producing just the first signs of fruit. And he said, this is the crucial time, kind of March, April time. And he said, if the temperature of the vines falls below two degrees centigrade, at that point, the entire year's crop is gone. So he spends eight weeks, March and April every year, basically not sleeping, just out in his fields, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, fighting the temperature just to keep everything warm. When he does that, he's finished that, then he goes around those five branches, he removes two more, so there's only three left, the three that are producing the best fruit. Then the grapes grow, he goes around again, he picks the best fruit, leaves the, the, the bad stuff. Then he does that, he goes around again, and he cuts off all the branches. This is about the last week of the year, ready for one week holiday before he starts again the following week. It was incredible. And what, as we go through this talk, this is the thing I want you to bear in mind. Growing, producing vines that grow good fruit is really hard work. It requires an awful lot of effort. Uh, and so here we are talking now about just that. Um, before we kind of get into the detail of it, I just want to uh, place us where we are in, in the scripture. Uh, so John 15, this is basically just after the Last Supper. Um, Jesus is uh, with his 11 uh, disciples, because uh, Judas has left by this point. Um, I discovered that some theologians call this the upper room discourse, which I'm going to use because I quite, like, I quite like sounding like a theologian. So uh, this is part of the upper room discourse, um, just to sort of go through very quickly. So John 13 is where uh, Jesus washes uh, Peter's feet, or everyone's feet. Uh, he, he predicts his betrayal in John 13. He predicts Peter's denial in John 13. Judas leaves. John 14, Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, which we heard uh, about last week. He promises that the Holy Spirit's going to come. End of John 14, so just before this passage, we have this little phrase that says, Jesus says, come now, let us leave. So the thinking is at that point, they get up uh, from the table and start walking out through Jerusalem to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Actually, the way I read it, that, that's probably right, but the way I read it is, he says, come now, let us leave, but then they don't actually get a chance to leave because he's still talking. And I sort of, you know when you've got like one hand on the door and someone won't stop and you're trying to go? And that, that's kind of how I, uh, I read it. Um, so then we have John 15. Uh, he says he's the true vine. Uh, by John 18, he's been arrested. And by John 19, he's been crucified. So this, my point is, these are the last few hours of Jesus' life. He's less than 12 hours away from being crucified when he says these words. These are the last things that he is desperate to tell his disciples. Those last words, um, essentially. And you can see, uh, as Ian was uh, talking about so well last week, he's, he's meeting with his disciples and he, he says to his disciples, look, everything I've talked about, everything you've seen over the last three years, all those signs and wonders point to this, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is what you need to know. Before I've gone, you need to know I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he goes on from there, essentially to say what we, he wants us to do with it. He could have said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, go and hide in a cave. Shut yourself off from the world. Let the world happen. Know that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and, and hide away. But he doesn't. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
I'm about to go. This is the thing you need to know before I'm gone. What do I want you to do with the fact that I'm the way of the truth and life? I want you to go and be fruitful. I want you to go into the world to tell people, to spread that news to people. And so we get here. Fruitfulness. Before we look at uh, how, it, how he wants us to be fruitful, I thought it's worth touching very quickly on what it means to be fruitful. Uh, fruitfulness is it's a thing that appears regularly in the Bible. It's like a, a theme throughout. Um, it means sort of different things in different places sometimes, uh, but you go right back, to, uh, right back to Genesis 1. It's one of the first things that God says to us. Be fruitful and increase in number. And throughout, you know, throughout uh, Scripture, we see it again and again. Obviously, in Galatians, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, what the kind of the characteristics you'd expect to see uh, in someone who, who's uh, living according to his word. Um, Jesus, I think, uh, the, the direct context of what Jesus is talking about in John 15 uh, is he's just sort of been talking about this battle that's coming, uh, and he, he goes on to say that the world hates disciples and in the context of what he's saying, probably what he's really talking about is kind of uh, spreading the news, letting people know, uh, bringing more people in. That's the kind of direct fruit. But I think you can be wider than that, and hopefully we sort of all have a reasonable idea of what we mean, mean by being fruitful. I quite like this um, from Colossians. Uh, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, goes on, and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Jesus' point is that he wants us to live a complete godly life out in the world, that he wants to see the results of us living that, I don't like the word moral, but, but the, uh, that kind of outworking of God in everything we do. Um, so, how do we bear, how do we produce good fruit? Well, Jesus says, to, to go back to John 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And a bit later, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, so we've got Jesus, the vine, we've got the father, the gardener, and we've got us, the branches. Uh, so I'm just going to briefly look at each of those. starting with Jesus, the true vine. One of the things that I find quite interesting about these few chapters, the, uh, the upper room discourse, theologian, uh, is that, uh, as, I, as I sort of alluded to, Jesus is covering a lot of ground fairly quickly, and you know, he, he's conscious that he's got a few hours left. He's, he's running through these ideas. Um, I suspect he's talking very quickly. And several times in these few chapters, the disciples don't really understand what he's talking about. They keep looking at each other saying, what, what are you talking about? Thomas last week said, Jesus, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know where you're going. They, they're constantly getting confused by what he's saying. But what is interesting is this passage, they know exactly what he's saying. No, one, no one's confused about this. They know what he's saying. They understand when he's talking about the vine, they understand what he's saying because the vine was a symbol for Israel. So much so that 30, 40 years after this, uh, there's an uprising uh, in Israel. They try and overthrow the Roman Empire. And as part of that, as part of the rebellion, uh, they produce some of their own coins. So they're not using coins with the emperor's head on. And some of those coins 
as the symbol of Israel, they put a picture of a vine on it. Um, I don't know if you can see that properly, but there's a, a vine and an, a cup on the other side. It was a, a really important part of Israel's identity that they saw themselves as a vine. Um, and of course, that, that comes from Scripture. It, it's uh, in lots of places in the Old Testament. Uh, this is one example, Psalm 80. You transplanted the vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Great, lovely picture. Israel is the vine. If Israel is the vine, why is Jesus the true vine? Well, because, of course, this is not quite the full story of Israel. This is from Isaiah 5. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. Israel was the vine. Israel was meant to be fruitful in the world. That was the great, right back from Abraham, that was Israel's job. And Israel failed. And what happens to the vine when it fails? Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Israel was meant to be fruitful, but it was disobedient, and it failed to be fruitful. So Jesus comes along, and he says, I am obedient. I am the true vine. I will be fruitful. Um, In Israel's disobedience, they fail. In Jesus' obedience, we'll succeed. Okay. Jesus, the vine, the true vine. The father of the gardener. Um, While we've been talking about fruit and wine, I've sort of felt reasonably qualified. I know about fruit and wine. I can talk about fruit and wine. Now we're going to talk about gardening, and I am not qualified in any way. Uh, it's not, I just, I just don't enjoy it, basically. So I don't understand it. Uh, when, we, uh, when we moved into our current house, uh, it was a few years ago, and we moved in in May, and the people before us had obviously loved gardening. Uh, we, it was, uh, well, I'll show you. Uh, it was this glorious garden full of color and vibrance and life. Give it two years with us in control. Bombsite, disaster. Uh, so... Uh, as I say, I'm not qualified to talk about gardening, really. But um, I do know two things. I know, first of all, that it requires a lot of love, a lot of care, a lot of tension. You, you have to nurture plants. You have to put a lot of time in it. Thinking back to, to my chap who, who showed him around the vine, who spent eight weeks up not sleeping to stop his plants getting too cold. That's, that's, that requires a lot of love. The other thing, and the thing that Jesus talks about, is, of course, it also requires pruning. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will be more fruitful. That's, of course, not necessarily very enjoyable for the vine. It hurts. Um, And um, the Bible doesn't hide away from that at all. This is in Hebrews. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I think there's lots we could say about this, about God's discipline. It, you know, it's something that any of us who have uh, lived a Christian life for some time know something about. It's never particularly enjoyable. We were talking in small group the other week uh, about how 
uh, it can sort of turn you into a bit of a petulant teenager, clinging on to parts of your life. No, God, I don't want to give that up. It, it, it's not that enjoyable, but it's absolutely crucial if you're going to produce good fruit. And I think it's quite interesting that in Jesus's, again, in his kind of last few hours, one of the things he's telling his disciples, he's preparing his disciples for what life is going to be like without him. And he says, you will experience discipline, pruning. It's not just going to be a laugh a minute. This is a necessary part of our walk with God um, if we want to be fruitful. Um, we're just going to uh, fly through to get to this bit, I think. Um, so, Jesus is the vine. The Father is the gardener, and we are the branches. The branches, of course, are the bits that actually carry the fruit. I said earlier that growing and producing fruit from a vine requires a lot of hard work. And of course it does, but the vast majority of the hard work is done by the vine that supports everything, and the gardener that has to do all all of the pruning and everything. The branches don't have to do very much at all. Remain in me. That's all it says. That's our sole job. Remain in me, Jesus says. Great. Nice and easy. Of course, it's not actually that easy. Um, I think. Stop whining there, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Something I kept from the vineyard? Um, what does the Jesus remain uh, mean by remaining in me. What he means, of course, is submitting ourselves to him, of following his uh, commands and doing what he says. Um, he actually sort of unpacks this in kind of more detail as we uh, look through these uh, few verses. Um, and these are some of the things that he says about us producing fruit and remaining in him. Firstly, he says in verse 4 that we can't produce fruit if we don't remain in him which kind of makes sense when you think about it. A branch that's not attached to a vine doesn't produce any fruit. Similarly, if we do not remain in Jesus, we will not produce any godly fruit. It is not possible to produce godly fruit apart from by Jesus. Secondly, it's for his glory in verse 8. Again, I suppose obvious when you think about it, the branch doesn't get all the glory for producing the fruit. The gardener gets all the glory for producing the fruit. And uh, similarly, Jesus says, this fruit is not to make yourself look good, it's for the Father's glory. And that's what we should be striving for. Thirdly, in verse 10, it's an active process. This isn't just a case of kind of sitting down, I don't know, meditating on Jesus and uh, saying in our hearts how much we remain in him and we submit to him. In verse 10, he says, if you, commit, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. It's an active thing. We have to actively keep his commands, not just kind of passively, I don't know, think about him. Fourthly, in verse 11, it's a joyful process. He says, uh, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. Submitting to Jesus is not meant to be something dull and boring. It's joyful. Might not always be happy. We've talked about pruning. It's not always um, a laugh a minute, but it is joyful. And finally, and this is uh, the point I wanted to get to really, it's not through our power, but his. And it, this, if you read through this, 
chapter, it doesn't just say remain in me. There's a second half of it. Remain in me as I also remain in you. And when I was sort of looking through this passage, when I sort of started to put together this talk, it was bothering me a little bit because we've got Jesus is the true vine. God the Son is the vine. God the Father is the gardener. And it felt like we were missing the third member of the crew. But of course, God the Holy Spirit is here. It's his power that we do this through. He remains in us, and that's what allows us to remain in him. And in fact, actually, if you read the wider context, Jesus has just spent the last chapter talking about the Holy Spirit, and he spends the next chapter talking about the Holy Spirit. And that's the point of this, really. This is all about God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We submit to that, and we let that happen. And he makes two promises as a result. First one is negative promise. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. I don't think there's any way to mince that. A, a branch that doesn't produce fruit is no good. It's destroyed. And that's, God doesn't hide from that. I think um, there are sort of echoes of James here as well, that you know, faith without works is dead, that kind of thing. It's, it's not to say that you have to do good things to get into heaven. That's not. It's the, it's the other way around. It's that a branch that doesn't have any fruit on it was obviously never connected to the vine properly in the first place. It's an evidence of whether that remaining is going on. And the second promise is a positive promise. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And this is the point Jesus is making, ultimately. He's gone through. He's got hours left to live. He's trying to tell the disciples everything they need to know. He, there are some short-term things in there. He's telling them what's going to happen over the next couple of days. He's telling Peter about his denial. He's saying that I'm going to be going, but the Holy Spirit is coming. But he's also talking big picture stuff. He's saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is what I need you to do with it. I need you to do this. I need you to remain in me. And if you remain in me, if you remain true to my word, and know that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, you will be fruitful. I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I get very obsessed with meanings of particular words. That word there is will. You will bear much fruit. Not might bear much fruit. Not lawyer speak, produce a reasonable amount of fruit in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's the promise from, uh, from this section. That's what Jesus is saying. Um, I'm conscious of time. I'm going to leave time for communion. I just want to very quickly just finish on this, very, very briefly, because there's a whole big part of this passage here that we haven't really talked about, uh, which uh, is about love. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. And it, it sort of talks about it quite a bit. And the final point is this. One branch by itself does not produce that much fruit in the grand scheme of things. Ben Oliver by himself doesn't produce much. Even Gary Bastin by himself does not produce much fruit. But if the vine has many branches, if all the branches are working together, then they will produce much fruit. And that's what uh, Jesus sort of speaks about in the second half of this. He says, love one another, be together, work together, and you will produce 
much fruit. Amen.